Welcome to Bibliophiles at Home, a book club podcast for introverts. I'm Camilla. And I'm Jennifer. Each episode, we will break down a book using current bestseller lists, Goodreads recommendations, and of course, book talk. At the end of each episode, we will announce our next book so you can read along with us. So grab your favorite beverage, get comfy cozy, and join us as we embark on this reading journey from the comfort of home. Welcome back to another episode of Bibliophiles at Home. How are you? I'm doing all right. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a long time. I think life got in the way of yeah. the podcast. Just briefly, yeah. we're back. Yep. But we had some illnesses going on, and honestly, it's just that time of year. Mm-hmm. So we're back. We're ready to discuss a book that has been long awaited, at least for me. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Crying in H Mart. So we're going back and doing another memoir. Yes. This is our second one of the of the podcast so far. This is honestly probably the second memoir I've read in my life. Oh, really? Out of choice. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that wasn't related to academics or... Right. Yeah. And I enjoyed this one a lot more than the last one we read. Really? Yes. Okay. I enjoyed this so much. Okay. And- I, I enjoyed it too. I, I will say that like... I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I ended up enjoying it when I started. If I was maybe, I was probably close to halfway through before I really got into it. Really? Yeah. Was it a, more of a slow burn for you? Um, I, ju- I think I just struggled with like maybe where exactly it was going or what um, what the author really wanted us to take away from it. Right. And it wasn't until we got further along that I felt like I could that I could see where it was going. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I felt that quite the opposite. I think I was hooked right from the beginning, but I felt that I needed to savor it kind of like Mm. she savors a lot of the food that Mm -hmm. she talks about in this book. But before we get into it too much, let's talk a little bit about our author. We're not going to do a full author's bio because I think the book probably speaks for itself mm-hmm. and we'll be touching upon uh, her life and her or- origin story. But w- what can you tell us about Michelle just like right off the cuff? Well, she's half Korean, half American. And by American, mm-hmm. I mean white. Her father is a white American and her mother was Korean. Um, and she is, I think, best known as a musician, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so I think she- you know a little bit more about her musical career than I do because I think you've been listening to her band. Yes. So I have definitely heard of Japanese Breakfast. That is her band. She is both the lead singer and I think the lead guitarist. Mm -hmm. I had listened to them multiple times just because they kind of overlap with a lot of the music that I listened to, but I was never a diehard fan. And I did, I was talking about this book actually at work and someone's like, oh yeah, she's the singer of Jay Brecky. So I guess that that's <laughs> that, kind of that's like the nickname. The, yeah, that's the nickname. But I did actually end up listening to one of the albums quite a bit while I was reading the book, mm-hmm. like actually at the same exact time, just like kind of had it on in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it probably is in the second half of the book where she talks about recording an album in the span of two weeks shortly after her mom dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was actually their breakthrough re- release. Yeah. So I ended up listening to that a little bit. And I did put it on our New York City playlist. Oh, for our trip. Yep. So we're taking a trip next weekend. We are going, so gosh, what is it, like 
mid-December right now. I have no idea what yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be going into New York City to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I did put a lot of Jay Brecky on the, <laughs> the playlist. There is some Taylor Swift as well. I, mm-hmm. I'm happy to um, compromise. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, now I feel like I have a lot more appreciation for her music. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely feel like it will be in my rotation a little bit more. Um, But yeah, I mean, so her story is quite interesting. She's, I believe, born in Seoul and then moves to Oregon. Seoul, yeah. Seoul, is that how you say Mm it? Yeah. See, I should have looked up some pronunciations a little bit more. That's okay. That was when, so we've also been talking about going to a Japanese, or sorry, not Japanese, thinking of her band, a Korean restaurant. And that's the one thing that intimidates me about going is not knowing how to pronounce any of the items on the menu. Yeah, that is very intimidating. I just went through that experience twice. So shortly after finishing this book, I had an insatiable desire for Korean cuisine. Mm -hmm. I just felt that she did such an incredible job of describing just, I don't know, I felt like there were so many elements of the food in the Mm -hmm. book that spoke to me and made me very hungry and made me want to try things that I had never heard of before. I agree. Her descriptive language is pretty outstanding. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't find that to be tedious to read about either, which I think is an interesting balance because Mm -hmm. I don't know about yourself, but sometimes authors can really go deep into descriptions and sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. And Mm -hmm. food is quite interesting to have that be such a like key player. Um, But yes, I ended up going. So we have a little um, Korean spot here in my town and I did go there to order takeout for my husband and I because I just wanted to try some of the things that she describes in the book. And they were so nice when I got there. They, I was like, I apologize. I'm like, I might mispronounce. I'm so sorry. But as I was sitting down, she brought me a cup of like a chilled tea, mm-hmm. which I believe they may serve to like clean your palate at the end of your meal. But mm-hmm. because I was waiting for takeout, she um, the I, I don't know if it, it was the restaurant owner, but she brought me some and it was so delicious. It was like a sp- cold spiced tea Mm -hmm. and it was so delicious but yeah i can definitely understand where you're coming from we're not you don't want to mispronounce it and just sound yeah ignorant right you also want to try new things and yeah i have found that most people in my experience appreciate the business and the kindness and yeah you know you just do your best but um yeah i thought it was very interesting how much you know time we spend talking about food i didn't also go to h mart (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've never been either, and I would like to go. Yeah, that was really fun. So that was – we had so much time between actually finishing the book and then coming to record because of all the different life circumstances. And so I was in Burlington, Burlington, Mass. There is an H Mart. Mm -hmm. I went with my husband and my toddler, and we had such a delicious meal. I actually have the receipt right here because I was texting you, and I was like – Oh, I tried this and this, and she do- she talks about this being her favorite meal, and I, I think she talks about when she talks about being in H Mart that there's like a Chinese Korean restaurant, mm-hmm. and that's similar to the one that we tried because it really is like a food f- a full food court. Okay, like so a mall food. Yeah, court. Okay. yeah. So there's multiple. So we ended up going to the Chinese Korean uh, because my husband likes Chinese food, and it was different than what we get at our local spot. Mm-hmm. but everything was so tasty and they were so friendly and we had such a good time. I'll definitely go back. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll post some pictures on the Instagram. Yeah. That would yeah. be cool. But tell me, so what's your hot take on this book? Um, hmm. 
Hot take. I think that um, it. what was really interesting to me was hearing about her internalized struggle with the fear of losing this part of her culture that really was a part of how she defined herself and that she felt like her only tie to it was her mother. And without her mother, she was going to lose these essential elements of herself. Mm-hmm. And she, she still had some Korean relatives, but, um, so she had an aunt still living, correct? But yeah. her aunt spoke very limited English. So they couldn't really communicate on a deep level. Mm-hmm. And her aunt had a son who could translate for them, but he didn't live near his aunt, near his mother. So. It, and of course, she lived in Korea, so it wasn't like she could just visit her whenever she wanted. So I think all of that to say, um, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how this, this, what she sort of deems as like this, this essential part of herself is, is lost, or she fears it as lost with the death of her mother. And I was just thinking about myself, you know, as a person who is, very white and you know my real only my only sense of culture is that of american culture thinking about how how can i identify with this right like how can i identify with what the how the loss of a parent might symbolize the loss of self and i think about um all the reasons that I call my mother or all the things that I talk about with my mother and how when I inevitably lose her, I'm going to lose that that part of my life, the ability to run things past her or call her or ask her opinion on things. And so that was how I was able to sort of identify with this character. Mm. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but th- I think that's, that's where I – as I mentioned before, at that part in the book when her mother, because of course we know that her mother dies and we, we know that from the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until about the midway part of the book that that gets to the current timeline mm-hmm. of the narrative. And so I think that's what sort of drew me in and thinking about what the loss of my mother would mean to me and how that would manifest and how I would cope and what I would lose. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I do think I can probably speak to her experience not exactly as she has experienced it, but I come from, you know, my family's from South America. And so my parents immigrated here in the late 80s. Myself, my sister, and my mom are the only three out of my entire family that live in the United States. And I have felt that feeling of cultural dissonance. Mm. I don't know if that's even a term that exists, but I could relate to her experience in that sometimes our parents are that tether to this other side of our experience. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of how to phrase it exactly, but I know that for me, I definitely have adapted very well to American culture, and I find myself yearning for a culture that I almost feel like I don't have claim to. Mm-hmm. But it is my culture, mm-hmm. and that can be a very interesting experience. And I mean, even going to South America, so my family's from Uruguay, I've been, you know, several times to my relatives. We are like the weird American cousins, <laughs> but it's it's such an interesting dynamic because I think there's always a part of me that wants to 
still maintain that connection. Mm -hmm. But it can be really hard with parents that maybe don't instill that. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess what I really admired about her mom is that she really does make a really, really strong effort to keep that culture alive. And it does really revolve around food, which Mm -hmm. in South America, it also revolves around food. I would say culture is a big, uh, food is a big aspect of culture, but not in the same way. Mm. Um, Like in South America, and I actually had a really tough learning experience the last time I went to visit, is that food is something that you do together, never alone. So when I was last there, now this is, gosh, 2012, so it's been a long time. I was staying with my grandparents, and we had aunts and uncles visiting, and I was hungry. So I went to the fridge, I grabbed a snack, and I just start eating. And that was the biggest faux pas I could have ever committed. Like it caused kind of like a scandal in the family because they saw that as such a selfish act. But it's in American culture, you wouldn't bat an eyelash. So was the issue that you went to go eat alone and didn't offer it to other people or that you just were doing it in the first place? I'm still unclear because it caused (laughs) such a it caused such a fight in the family that they felt that I was just so rude. Like that was so rude to them that I would be eating and yes, not like there wasn't enough for everyone, so I couldn't offer it. Like I was having leftovers from maybe like I had gone to a restaurant for lunch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here I just – that wouldn't – no one would bat an eyelash if I right. did that. Even if I was at, you know, my mom's house and I just go to her fridge, I grab a snack, I eat it, and it's done. Mm-hmm. Like here, I, I guess maybe food is more sustenance. But at least for my culture, my family's culture, it's like – a communal experience. Mm-hmm. You do not eat alone. You eat with your family. You're, it, it, it's what brings everyone to like a common place. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that they're eating anything special. Like there's not – and of course there's like meals that are culturally significant or that, mm-hmm. you know, people eat, you know, the 29th of May, you eat gnocchis and you put a quarter under your – um plate and that's supposed to signify like luck for the next year or for the next month so there are cultural things like that that revolve around like a specific plate at a specific time Mm -hmm. but more or less it's really just about the act of communing around food Mm -hmm. but what if you're what if you're hungry and it's not meal time you just have to wait yeah or or you have to prepare something enough for everyone i don't really i'm unclear and then no one else wants it (laughs) i'm unclear because that's what i kind of wanted to circle back to is that i feel that Michelle's mom does, you know, I wish that my mom instilled cultural nuances like that Mm -hmm. in our family. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot that I don't understand. And sometimes I do feel like an outsider looking in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never done a DNA test, but both my parents are from Uruguay. So from what I know of my familial line, we're either mostly Uruguayan or we have, you know, um, some, you know, ancestral relatives that came from Spain. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like Spanish culture there. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel as connected to it. And it made me long for something that I didn't know I longed for. Mm -hmm. But I also feel that I have definitely adapted to American culture in a way that it. I don't feel like I'm missing out. But I also do feel like an outsider to to something that I do have maybe somewhat of a claim to. Yeah. You know, I don't know how to yeah. I don't know how to describe it. I, I just I could I guess all of it is to say that I can understand how she felt. Yeah. But I my experience has been way different than hers. Yeah. So I couldn't relate to having followed her experience, but I I longed 
to experience culture, the, you know, my culture the way that she had the opportunity to experience hers. Yeah. Does that well, make sense? No, it does. And I want to ask you a question as a child of immigrants and would like to get your take on it. So when you – so did your parents move here before you were born? Yes. Okay. So when you were born, did they speak English? No. So so Spanish was spoken in your home because that was what they spoke. And so yes. you're bilingual. Yeah. And so my question is – why and and so you know maybe even you can speak into this into terms of how you're speaking to your children why would do you think a person who especially a person who like her mother who was from Korea who was 100% Korean why do you think she would have chosen cuz i don't think it's addressed in the book not to teach Michelle Korean not to speak to her in Korean all the time so that she would be bilingual um, so, and, and going off of that, I have a friend who, um, whose father was white and his mother was, um, I, I'm not sure where she's from, but she spoke Spanish. Um, and she purposely did not speak Spanish to her three children because she did not want them to have an accent and she did not want them to be judged for having an accent. So she chose not to speak Spanish and they, and she could speak English. So that wasn't an issue with communicating with them as children. Um, but I just wonder why her mother would have made that choice not to speak Korean to her. Right, right. I mean, I can't obviously speak to her specific sure. choices, but I will say, so, you know, technically my first language is Spanish mm-hmm. and that's the first language I learned. My parents were non-English speaking when they moved to the United States. So I learned English truly from the public education system and being around English speakers, I was able to pick up the language. I th- I don't think I have an accent, but I do think that sometimes I mispronounce words because I also have this part of my brain that is pronouncing words in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy to me is that I do think in English. Mm. So I do consider English do you ever dream in Spanish? I do, and I pray in Spanish. Huh. That's a random little fact about <laughs> me. So all of that is to say, as a child, I didn't have a choice but to learn Spanish because obviously my parents were non-English speaking. Now my mom you know, has been in this country. She took the classes. She did everything she could, and she does speak English. She does have a very thick accent. Mm-hmm. And I know that that has always been something that has really made her extremely self-conscious. Mm. Now, I am obviously a Spanish-speaking person, and even the thought of teaching my children Spanish feels so daunting because it it would be so difficult because my husband doesn't speak Spanish that it's almost like there would always be a series of two separate conversations going on that not everyone has access to. Mm -hmm. So, and we are teaching her, like, some phrases and words she, my mom only speaks to her in Spanish, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that she'll at least understand it. And I think they do say that language development in the brain is the most probable from, like, early childhood to, like, early preteens. Mm-hmm. That after you hit, like, teenage years, your brain develop- has developed to a point where mm-hmm. it's not impossible. It's very difficult. But it's much more difficult. So I think I have time. She's not even two yet. Yeah. I would definitely like to teach her Spanish. And I'm so thankful that I know two languages. But it's hard. When I haven't spoken Spanish in a little while, when I speak it for the first time, my mouth doesn't move the same way. Like, I have to train my mouth again. I it's like the enunciation of words, the way that you are forming the words and the way yeah. that th- your tongue is, like, rolling off 
Yeah. I don't know it's how to... It's not automatic. It's not. Like, it gets a little... Like, you have to grease the wheels a bit. <laughs> switching back and forth. But in my line of work, I get to speak Spanish all the time now. So that's been awesome because I am practicing. And sometimes it's like... There is not a direct word-to-word translation, but I'm trying to also translate an idea. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes hard to think about. But I don't, I can't speak to why they wouldn't. I guess I can say that I understand the difficulty of it. Mm-hmm. Because let's say in Michelle's example, she would, her mom would always be having these conversations that her dad couldn't participate in. And there is a small scene later in the book where uh, when her cancer has kind of developed quite a bit and she's very ill, she's pretty close to hospice, if not on it already, where she kind of re- goes back to just speaking in Korean. Mm-hmm. And her dad's like, what the heck? Speak mm-hmm. English. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was a decision that was made not by her own choice, but based on the mm-hmm. dynamic of maybe. the family. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I mean, I don't think that something like an accent um, makes me nervous because I do think that accents are beautiful and they should mm-hmm. be embraced and celebrated. And my mom's English is adorable like Mm -hmm. she does have a thick accent and you can tell that you know english isn't her first language but i think that what you know why not yeah you know why not celebrate that difference and english is a very challenging language to Mm -hmm. learn first of all Mm -hmm. Uh, but even my husband you know his parents or at least his mom was born and raised in germany so german is her first language and they didn't teach my husband any german Hmm. And he does, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but I think that he would have, as an adult, feels like he wishes he knew sure. how to speak German. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm going to try with my little one. Mm-hmm. My eldest is learning sign language, so we're all trying to learn as a family. So we're already kind of like tackling <laughs> a few different languages yeah. here. But it is hard to train your brain to think in a language that's not your first comfort zone, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that too. Even just going to South America, though, whenever I have gone and I'm practicing my Spanish, and I mean, I'm fluent. I'm, I can yeah. read it, I can write it. My grammar is not the greatest, but I mean, I am a fluent speaker. Um, whenever I've gotten compliments on my Spanish, because I think they think, oh, this crazy, like, she's an American. She's Uruguayan, but she's an American now. Mm-hmm. They think that my Spanish is going to be, like, terrible. And then they're like, oh, your Spanish is very beautiful. So I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it, is it is my first my, language. Yeah, it is technically my first language. But, I mean, sometimes I even forget that, except even, like, when I'm editing the podcast, for example, and I listen to myself back, I can catch where I have slips in accent. Yeah. Because I'll mispronounce words. But yeah. I know the, how to pronounce the word correctly. But I think it's just how yeah. things roll off the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. One time I think I might have even said supposedly and I was really embarrassed. Yeah. But it's interesting like when I hear when I hear like a little blip in your pronunciation or your accent, it doesn't sound like I don't think oh that sounds like a Spanish accent or something. It sa- it just sounds like just different. Like yeah. I I can't place it if that yeah. makes sense. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think I speak with, like, a full, thick accent. No, not at all. Yeah. No. Some people can't even tell that I'm Spanish mm-hmm. or that my family's from South America. I'm very fair-skinned, so mm-hmm. my dad was uh, a darker-skinned person, mm-hmm. but I did. my mom is very fair. Yeah. So I Well, and up so that's that. interesting, too, right? Because, so, like, both of your parents are from Uruguay. Her father was American, and so she talks about feeling kind of in the middle because mm-hmm. she wasn't white enough that people could tell she wasn't fully white. Right. But... 
people, Korean people could also tell that she wasn't fully Korean. Yeah. So she felt very sort of split. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that, especially when I look at pictures of myself next to my dad. Mm-hmm. Like he was, a, you know, he was a, a couple shades darker brown than me. And you can tell that he's a very Hispanic looking man. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just looks very different than I look. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I don't. I didn't carry any of that. So I've had situations where people truly don't believe I'm Spanish because mm-hmm. I'm so fair skinned. Whereas my sister, something in like her features look Spanish, even though she's fair skinned. Hmm. And it could be that she has like those tight, tight curls. Mm-hmm. My hair is like wavy and like years of abuse and, you know, <laughs> hair dye have mm-hmm. like cut cut my curl out. But I don't know. It's interesting. I definitely can relate to to that experience. It's just, it's something, I guess, unless you experience it, that you can't really, like, truly understand how it yeah. feels. But it's also so different from person to person. Sure. Depending on where your family's from and how they embrace culture. And I have always thought that I'm, like, my mom, my sister, and I were, like, the black sheep of my family. Mm. And I don't know why. Hey, sorry if you can hear my little kid in the background. <laughs> we, have, we have children here. <laughs> we have children here today. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Hmm. Does that make sense? I hope no. that doesn't sound ignorant at all. No, not at all. I mean, obviously, I understand everybody's experience is different. But like, you know, there are some commonalities there that I just wanted mm-hmm. to sort of get your perspective on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't speak to why someone wouldn't, but I could speak to how hard it is. Yeah. It is definitely a challenge that you have to be like able and willing to to face but i think my husband would be totally fine if i taught the kids spanish yeah um we'll see if they they may not be as interested though Mm. if they're seeing american culture where obviously everyone's speaking english like they may not have the desire but Mm -hmm. i definitely would like it to be available to them and it's incredible to be bilingual yeah you just never know when you're gonna be able but i'll tell you this whenever we travel to a spanish-speaking country yeah i only speak in spanish and i noticed that uh, locals are so thrilled yeah, because they don't expect it because of how I look. And Danny, my husband, jokes around that we're like royalty yeah, because they don't expect it. And suddenly I'll just like, you know, right. start talking to them in Spanish and ask questions. You know, we start chit-chatting, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. then it cha- he noticed he's like, wow, like you could see like people's expressions like totally light up mm-hmm. because sometimes they may not be English speakers. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Yeah. That is it's neat. always fun to catch someone off guard with that. <laughs> but I thought Michelle's uh, particular experience was very interesting. What I liked about her, or I thought her experience was very unique in that she actually got to visit the homeland a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very unique experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that that does show a little, at least, I'm not sure what her dad, I can't remember what her dad was up to, but it seemed like he did, was a strong provider that he could do that because mom was, her life's goal was, to be a mom, maybe? I don't didn't, know. Am didn't I... he do car sales or, or something of that nature? He did something. What I, can, was... I can remember thinking that, because again, you know, it's been a few weeks since we finished this book. Um, I can remember thinking I, I wouldn't expect them to be able to finance this type of lifestyle with what he did. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, who knows, like what, if there was some amount of debt that was being accumulated through that lifestyle. I don't know, because it also talks about her mother sort of buying things um, in a compulsive way. Yeah. And so I don't really know, you know, she she doesn't go into that at all, whether or not it was maybe because it was a non-issue or maybe out of respect for her father. I don't know. But I remember feeling like this seemed kind of extravagant for what he did. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't think of it that way at all. Because I, I just think that sometimes there are like career paths that can be very lucrative that you might not think of it. I'm not sure yeah, about, maybe. I don't know enough about that particular field. But I also feel that, uh, and I actually did see a little bit of discourse about this on Reddit after I read the book. I was, and I can't quote exactly like what the person said or the username, but they were basically saying that something that they were, they felt was that she didn't really touch upon her privilege and mm. being able to go back so often. But I don't think that she has to. Mm. Like, I didn't get that vibe that, you know, my parents could never have afforded that for sure, for sure. That's probably why I've only been to, to Uruguay twice. Yeah. But I, I feel that just because someone else's, uh, you know, financially, whatever their situation was, they were able to do it. Like, who am I to judge? Yeah. I don't feel like she needs yeah, to justify that and at I all. I mean, you know, it's, I think people forget too that like different people have different priorities. And so there may have been a lot of things that maybe someone else would consider to be essential yeah. that they did not yeah. indulge at all yeah. because they, this other thing was essential. Right. But think about it. They're just paying for flights. They're going to, they're spending time with family. It seems like they had like a space to live there and, and the whole time. A lot time. of times it was just the two of them, yeah, right? Like her husband yeah. didn't go. And they were staying for weeks at a time, which is also arguably a lot less expensive to spend a greater time than yeah. try to fly back and forth yeah. in a didn't short time. Yeah, didn't have to pay for, for a room and board. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like it's, it's feasible. It doesn't, it didn't sound so outrageous to me. I mean, it, it's definitely something I wish that I could have experienced in my own life, but yeah. it's not, I don't think that she needs, owes anybody like an explanation of how mm -hmm. they were able to do that either. Yeah. But I mean, I felt that all things considered, do you think that she painted her dad in a good light? Yeah. So, that <laughs> that, that's interesting that you bring that. So go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to just talk about how I was really torn on that by the end of the book. Like, mm -hmm. I feel that um, I didn't really do a lot of deep diving on this myself, but did kind of go uh, again on Reddit. Uh, there were a lot of posts discussing this book, and I kind of wanted to get a sense of how people felt. And I did see it maybe alluded to that dad was not happy with how he was portrayed in this book and that it may have damaged their relationship. Oh. But I didn't try to go and validate that for myself okay yeah well so i was going to bring up the part about her discovering that her father had been having these affairs and um i so not specific to that itself but i found it somewhat perplexing that she brought up a couple of different really sort of um uh, it, very sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. These, these b almost bombshell type of, uh, reveals, like that her mother had terminated a pregnancy at some point. Um, and that her, eventually her aunt tells her that she thinks it was because her mother felt like she wouldn't be able to go back and forth to Korea if she mm -hmm. had another baby, that she felt like that would compromise her ability to go back and visit and to just be able to basically hold herself together. Mm -hmm. um, and then also this revelation that her father was having these affairs. She sort of brought up these bombshell issues and then didn't really go into their impact yeah other than that her mother sort of like in a very antagonistic ag passive aggressive way reveals to her that yeah. she that she had you know terminated a pregnancy she blamed her yeah 
That yeah. was awful. Yeah. Because oh she gosh. because she was such a bad child. Yeah. And then this thing about her father, like, and I and I think maybe she says something about like never talking about it with him or never never um telling her mother about it or something. Maybe. Oh her, yeah, maybe because her. she found it on his computer. Yeah, and and, and maybe her mother knew because I feel like stuff like that, even when it's never mentioned or discussed, I feel like a lot of times the partner knows, you yeah. know, and and it's you know either willful ignorance or they're just sort of like you know happy with the status quo and don't want to rock the boat or whatever. Um, right. But I just I thought that was an, uh, a puzzling choice to bring up these things, but then never really talk too much about their impact. Um. So in terms of how she portrayed her father, I mean, I don't necessarily think she raked him over the coals, but I think it was probably pretty realistic in, in, in the, at least from her perspective, I don't, I don't feel like it was unnecessarily harsh. Yeah, no, she definitely could have been way harsher, but she does kind of allude that after mom, her mom passes away that he like starts a new life. Yeah. Isn't he like out traveling and... Yeah, didn't he decide to move to Thailand or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, whether or not their relationship is in good standing, the one thing I can say is that it seemed like her mom was like the foundational presence in her life. Mm -hmm. And I think she does kind of think about that, like what will happen when my mom dies? What will happen to my relationship with my dad? If she's the only glue that's keeping that together, I mean, I don't think it's unrealistic for their relationship to maybe fizzle out but i would i would like to think that there's always an opportunity to forgive and mm-hmm. i think she does say that she chooses to forgive him but i i heard whispered to the grapevine that he was not <laughs> happy with how he was portrayed but i i think that that's i don't know yeah that's that's a toughie because hmm. he didn't seem like a terrible guy to me. He just yeah. seemed like very like minimally involved. Yeah. Right. And and you know, kind of a a a broken type of figure with with no real sort of sense of um of uh regret or any desire to repent yeah. of any of the poor choices that he made. Yeah. How did you feel about her mom? Like, as a person. I know it's hard because you never want to speak ill of the deceased. Right. So, so again, it's been a, a few weeks, but I sort of the general impression that I walked away with was that, and correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm misremembering things, but she seemed to be pretty... Um, uh, pretty wrapped up in the physical appearance like Mm -hmm. she she and i don't know how much of that was her and maybe how much of that was cultural that she was um very concerned about her appearance and how her appearance was changing as she aged and work she was very um dedicated to like a skincare regimen of like trying to combat aging and that sort of thing um and i feel like didn't she make some comments to Michelle when she about her appearance sometimes? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, her mother, I, I felt a little bit like her mother was sometimes, particularly with that instance of revealing that she'd terminated a pregnancy and blaming it on Michelle, um, was sometimes a little bit vindictive. Yeah. And sometimes felt like Michelle wasn't grateful or didn't do enough for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of was left with that impression. Yeah. I think she was definitely like a loving mom. And I think a lot of it is hard to understand without the context of the culture and what's like Mm -hmm. how things are. Because I do feel that 
something that I was reading a little bit about on Reddit was how in Asian, certain Asian cultures, like there are some practices that like from an outside perspective could be perceived as like abusive type behaviors. Mm -hmm. But in Asian culture, that's very, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like it's the same in South American culture because like, I'll just throw out a random example in South American culture, not, not every country, but Uruguay, it's very common for people to have nicknames based on something that has to do directly with their appearance. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I was flaquita, which just means like skinny. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon if someone was like a bigger person to be called gordo, gordita, gordo, like, you know, and Mm -hmm. that would be their nickname. And it would be something that's maybe they feel self-conscious about, but like Spanish nicknames are crazy in Uruguay. (laughs) And that would be so like, can you imagine like, Meeting someone at work and just being like, you know, hey, eyebrows, you know, or (laughs) hey, baldy. Like, that just would never happen. Hey, fatty. Literally could never imagine that. But that's like like my worst nightmare is someone who is very atypical physically, like I'm six foot one. And so that that's my nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. And they literally are relentless with it. Like someone will bestow a nickname on you and you will have it for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you gain weight, lose weight. Like, yeah. and literally they'll do it with like the, they'll make, make nicknames based on the color of your skin. It's like so culturally, like that's, no one will bat an eyelash. Yeah. But in the US, like, no. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay <laughs> with letting go of that part of my culture because they're mean. Yeah. Some of the nicknames are mean. Yeah. But it's so, it's just like, that's how it is. So I can see how we can only perceive things from like our understanding. But I think that there is something to be said about trying to understand someone from within their own culture, mm-hmm. you know, what makes sense within their cultural norms. But I, I thought that she was definitely uh, a loving mom. I think she maybe had her own way of showing love. And something that I thought was interesting is that I do think that at times Michelle's sense of self really depends on her mom. Yeah. Like there is a little bit of that emotional dependence on her ability yeah. to – I don't know. And and that's, it seems like the distance that she places between them when she moves after college was, like, really good for their relationship for her to be, you know, mi- mm-hmm. hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Um, Do you feel like – I mean, she's obviously in the telling of the, of the timeline of her, you know, her childhood up through the, her mother's death and the aftermath. Do you feel like some of it – when she talks about the food, do you feel and and her connection to her mother through the food? Maybe this is inevitable, but do you feel like there is a bit of um, uh, sort of like a, a a suspension of disbelief, like she's forgetting the bad and only remembering the good, and maybe even romanticizing the good parts of their relationship? I don't even know. Yeah. I think maybe I think who doesn't romanticize something about someone that they've loved, but I do believe she was loved by her mom. Well, and I believe that yeah. they had a good relationship at times, but I think that they struggled in their relationship and maybe more time and maturity or just I mean, I don't know. Well, is our 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 parents, sorry, I can't talk. Are our parents like too old to change, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I would like to think that as someone that has never had the greatest relationship with my mom, that it will improve as I get older because I will have understanding and awareness and mm-hmm. the ability to maybe forgive things that I can at least understand her perspective a little bit more now being a mother and 
having my own experience mm-hmm. and struggles, but mm-hmm. maybe she was. I mean, but at the same time, I feel like she isn't. I maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, obviously she she doesn't sugarcoat the hard things. Yeah, but b- food is such the experience of eating good food is such a pleasurable thing that I just wonder how much of her happy remembrance is tied to this pleasurable act of eating. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. It's just a just a oh oh question. Yeah, no, I, I wish I could answer it with like <laughs> certainty and I just honestly don't know how to answer yeah, that. Yeah. I didn't get the vibe and I'm like trying to be very careful here because I don't want to make too many comparisons to Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, mm-hmm. which I think was hard for me reading this book mm. to try to draw the parallels and say like, well, these are two different people with from two different walks of life, yeah. two different experiences losing yeah. a mother. And it's that's like, really the only commonality is that they both lost their mother. Re- yeah. And that they're both women. Yeah. And I mean, but I, I think that, yeah, you're right. Because Jeanette McCurdy's mom was like constantly pushing her to become this like famous star. And it's so funny. <laughs> I almost feel like, Michelle's mom's like, no, you're never going to make it big. Right. Like this, over at one dreams. time someone asks her like to be, you know, like s- something about modeling. And she's like, no. Yeah. Don't they like laugh <laughs> yeah. in her face, her yeah. and her aunt? Yeah. But then, um, you know, she sees or it's not until after her mom passes that she kind of just coincidentally does take off in this incredible music career. But I think it's also important to note that I think Michelle's experience is also generational because it felt like. Her own mother had maybe a tumultuous relationship with her mom at times, Mm -hmm. but as her mom is ill and dying, Mm -hmm. her mom goes through, like, a pretty similar experience to probably what Michelle goes through. Yeah. Because think about it. She had so many miles away from her mom. Her her grandmother, Michelle's grandmother... Seemed kind of like a hard ass as well. Yeah. She's, you know, gambling and smoking her ciggies. Yeah. And, well, know. I was just thinking about, you know, you talking about the thing that might be cruel with the nicknames, the thing about like poking your finger in their butt. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? How in, how in the world is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Not doing that in America. You will get arrested. Yeah, arrested. Be, yeah. yeah no. You will not be okay to yeah. do that. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that you could kind of see like the parallels just generationally in their, in their family, but they seemed like really tight knit despite the distance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so hard to keep that alive Mm -hmm. when there is – I mean, think about it. You can have friends that live a 30-minute ride away from you, and it can be hard to stay in contact. Even with social media and the internet and cell phones, it's hard. You have to put in a lot of effort. But I felt that, at least in her family, it seemed like there was a lot of, like, tenderness despite the the time and the distance. And I did feel that that was really beautifully portrayed. And food had a lot to do with that, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I was hungry the whole time reading this book. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm not trying to Me be too. silly, but I was like, I felt that she described the food in such a way that it just sounded delectable. Yeah. And I was, I thought that that was a feat in and of itself because yeah. like I said, descriptions can be so yeah. boring. Not even with the food. There were some descriptions that she had throughout, um, that really stuck with me and resonated with me. Just the way she described things about her mother's illness or the way someone looked or the way something sounded mm-hmm. or how she felt. I just felt she had a really excellent way of describing things in a unique manner, but that were, uh, it was easy for me to identify with her. Mm -hmm. Her writing style was definitely very beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I can see how that would translate into her music as well. Um, Because she just had her, 
her prose was lyrical in some regards. Mm -hmm. But it was also very, um, it felt very authentic and it felt very relatable, even if it wasn't something that you could personally relate to. But it just, it felt like you were having a conversation like this. Yes. Sitting down with someone, just hearing their story. It was eloquent and refined without being like highbrow, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Now, I did want to ask you something um, that's like totally just random. This is my hot take about this book. Okay. it's, It's silly. But don't you feel that the friend that comes to help her mom when she's, mm-hmm, you know, in mm-hmm. the throes of her illness, yep, yep. she was a villain. What was wrong with that lady? Yeah, what I don't Mal? know. Uh, what was her name? I can't remember her name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. I was struggling to figure out exactly how she fit in, where where she knew her from. Yeah. Um, and They so, met in Japan, didn't they? Maybe. I never could quite p- piece it together, but... Um, I don't think she had any children Mm-mm. and maybe didn't have any relatives, mm-hmm. certainly not any relatives local to her. Yeah, she had a and, husband. Yeah. And so, and her husband was not Korean, right? This lady's I don't husband. Think so. I don't think so. I got the sense so. that they met when they were both the husbands were like stationed in Japan for some odd reason. Working there or yeah, something. Yeah, working there. Yeah, maybe that was it. But so I I just wonder if she was one of those type of people who needed to be needed and needed to be special. And so because she could provide this sort of familiarity to um to Michelle's mother of Korea, could speak to her in Korean, could fix this food for her that nobody could fix. She felt special. She felt needed. She felt wanted. And she she seemed like one of those type of people who needed to be the yeah. most important person. She had some darkness in yeah, her, though. She, she was, like, letting she food ser- rot away and, yeah. like, was being really weird yeah. to Michelle and her dad in their own house. Like, yeah. there's a scene where... Well, I mean, Michelle talks about how in Korea, they're a little bit more blasé with like how old food is or letting it sit out or things like that. And she even makes the comment that like getting food poisoning a few times a year is just sort of like par for the course. Um, But they were concerned because she was she had a lowered immune system. She was being treated for cancer. And so she tries to explain to her, you know, she can't eat like a healthy person because she's not a healthy person. Yeah. And she, the lady just like totally blows her off. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like that one scene where she like whispers something in Korean. Yeah. And it was like a moment that you had to pay attention to, but like there's a, all this mystery about what she's saying to yeah. her in Korean. Yeah. And she makes a point of giving her a letter in Korean. Yes. At the table. Yeah. And her mother won't tell her what it says. Yeah. She says it's just for us. Yeah. Then why give it to her in front of everybody? Because I know. you want to make a show of having something special. It was that no one else bizarre. is privy to. Yeah. That was so bizarre yeah. to me. She, her, she was just such a foil. Like she was a like kind of a villain in my mm-hmm. eyes, but she kind of leaves unceremoniously. She's like, you are all selfish and you suck. And then she was gone, <laughs> never yep. to be seen again. Yep. But um, yeah, that was she, That was all very interesting. I have really struggled with just how visceral the suffering was of, of her mother, of her mother's mm-hmm. cancer. I mean, yeah. seeing someone. Yeah. I, so oh. and I will say, too, like, you know, that de- the decision they made to go to Korea, I 100 percent am supportive of people at end of life making choices like that, like we're going to forego treatment, we're going to go against doctor's advice, because this is the last opportunity, she wants to see Korea one more time. Um, But the decision that they made to do that, because her father tells her she had the fever before she got on the plane. So Mm -hmm. they knew that she wasn't well. And a fever for a cancer patient is a really big deal. Um, And so I've, I've felt 
sad that they made that choice and just she just ended up suffering so much because of it yeah um and then um i i i think that you know her decision to get married i i really identified with that on a personal level because my grandfather got really ill um when um I'm trying to think this is when I was pregnant with my first daughter so it would have been in like 2007 the summer of 2007 he had been he was a type 1 diabetic and he it was always really well managed but as he be- got older um started having some complications associated with it and he got really ill right around the time that I had my daughter and just before that a couple months before when he started to get ill my mother had been uh in a relationship with my who is now my stepfather for a while and they were engaged and they made sort of a split second decision um to get married they were going to get married that fall after my daughter was born and they decided to get married before um before the sum- summer was over because they wanted he wanted my grandfather to know mm-hmm. that my mother was taken care of yeah and so um yeah so that really hit home for me yeah that's a tough decision to make and i feel like um, I was happy that her her boyfriend, now husband, seemed like a stable presence in mm-hmm. her life, but yeah. she didn't really spend a lot of time explaining their relationship. Yeah. So I think for the reader, it can be, like, a little bit more jarring. Like, it, se- it could seem a little fast, but I think that there was a lot of tenderness there that I mm-hmm. think that she kept separate from the yeah. the. Yes, for sure. Yeah, toward the the beginning of the book, um, and really even almost up to that point where she told him we should get married, I wasn't really sure how serious they were. I thought maybe this is just kind of a casual thing and, you know, just somebody to keep the bed warm or something like that. You know, I I didn't know. So, you know what I mean? Like that it was just sort of like a relationship of convenience. Like a fling or something. Well, not even like a fling, but just like convenient that, like, oh, you know, because they weren't living in the same town, right? I don't think so. Uh, now but, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't th- because she had gone home. Well, maybe they had been living together before her mother got sick, but I don't think so. I think they had roommates and stuff because she was in another band yeah. before Japanese Breakfast right. took off. But then she went back out west to be with her mother, so they they were doing a lot long of time distance. Apart. Yeah, yeah, and so. I've just thought, you know, maybe this is just sort of like when I go home, there's someone there yeah, to no. be with or whatever. But he's in the band with her. Yes. Yeah. yeah I realized yeah. that too. They ha- they're they very adorable. <laughs> yeah. You can see some pictures online. They uh, don't have any children, do they? I don't think so. Okay. I didn't. Honestly, her website um, was kind of, no, I don't want to say slim pickings by mm-hmm. any means, but it was very straightforward. And I think the kind author's of bio was, yeah, was similar to what's in the book. What I didn't realize is that the first chapter of this book was published in The New Yorker mm-hmm. and was um, just kind of like an essay. And so it, that was what started this. And yes, then she wrote the book. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think, and she does have a link to the New Yorker page. Honestly, the first chapter does stand well yeah. like alone as a as a singular essay um so if someone doesn't w- really want to dive into the full book i think that the essay would still be certainly worth a read yeah um but yeah that's that's all, all it's tough she she i did watch go back and watch some interviews of her on jimmy fallon mm-hmm. and um went back and watched her do some show you know just recordings of shows or live performances sure. and I'm not going to lie, I've been listening to Japanese Breakfast a little bit, but I really felt that um, 
listening in particular to that first album that she put out in the two weeks after her mom died, I ended up listening to it with my husband. And um, you can definitely see her progress as an artist as well in her music. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think it's called Psycho Pump. What is it called? I'm just I think, I think that sounds right. Yeah, Psycho Pump. Um, if you do check it out on Spotify, the album cover is a really beautiful picture of her mom. Mm-hmm. And a, I believe a friend of her mom. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was really cool. And it just seemed like it kind of happened by chance that she channeled this pain into this music. And it just happened to take off. Whereas I think she wasn't chasing it at the time. It just mm. kind of took off right. organically, which is kind of cool mm-hmm. that, it, that that happened for them. And they're quite popular. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that they have a niche, probably, like, indie alternative crowd. But, yeah. you know, they seem to have, like, a pretty solid following. Jay Brecky. Maybe uh, maybe you'll turn me into a fan on our New York City road trip. Yeah, I definitely put some songs on there. Um, yeah, they have a very unique sound. It's, yeah. it's enjoyable. It's sometimes, um, I will say, I think I'd have to listen to it a lot before I could, like, tell, you know, differentiate the songs but mm-hmm. that doesn't bother me i have a lot of artists that i listen to that kind of have like a, a very unique sound but it's like i don't want to say repetitive because that makes it sound negative it's just like a very unique right brand yeah so to speak but yeah that was a good book i i really struggled not to want to compare it too much to jeanette mccurdy's i think that they told completely different stories yeah um i felt a lot of her pain i felt a lot of her experience it was certainly we have very different experiences, very different cultural backgrounds, but I I felt seen in a way that there are many people probably that live in the U.S. that feel that way. Yeah. So it's like an interesting experience when we're a pretty big melting pot. And I have been trying to embrace and enjoy other cultures. And um, I'm I'm in college right now. I'm a I'm a geriatric college student. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> And um, one of my classes that I'm taking right now is cultural anthropology. And so I'm kind of reading about this all the time. And just there's always that balance between like cultural appreciation versus appropriation. And I'm of the mind that I enjoy to enjoy people's culture and learn about, you know, why do you eat this food? What is the significance of this meal? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's the significance of this holiday? You know, or the dress or, you know, what whatever it is. Um, I'm probably not saying that as eloquently as I would like to, but all of it is to say that I felt like I, I gained a lot of appreciation for Korean Americans that I didn't realize. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's just interesting to gain that perspective mm-hmm. that's so different from my own. But there it can be things in common, even though our experiences are so different. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. I'm like totally rambling. No, you're not. At, at I totally point, understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I thought this was really enjoyable, and I did have quite a sense of catharsis after mm. the end of this book. Like, I felt that she – I don't think her journey is done, obviously, right. but I felt that she really pulled it together at the end. Yeah. And I felt like it was very – Like, co- she was cohesive, in a good place. Yeah, I felt like a very cohesive message, and I'm sure as, yeah. you know, someone who has lost a parent, it hits you at different times in your mm-hmm. life in very different ways. Um, You know, my dad, I've – I lost him over 20 years ago, and it still, you know, will hit me differently at different times. So yeah. Same here. I lost my dad, um, I guess it was 14 years ago. Wow. So, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that he yeah. had passed that long ago. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Mine was 2009. So what year is it now? That's when my dad died, too, I think. 
Yeah, 2009. It was February 2009. Wait, so it was that Groundhog was... Day. It, Corinne was one and a half. Wait, wait, wait. So that was... Why did I think my dad died 20 years ago? That's not 20 years ago. I don't know. No, because because Corinne, my daughter who's 16, was one and a half when my dad died. Wow. Okay, you're right. I thought my dad... You know what? I'm thinking... Sorry. Um, I hadn't seen my dad for over 10 years or just about nine years. When he died? When he died. So I always think of it as like when I lost my dad versus when he died. I see. To me, like I fuse those dates together. So I'm like, wait a second. I hadn't seen my dad in over 20 years when he died. But that's a little bit of trauma dumping, I guess. (laughs) That's okay. We can talk about that on another episode. (laughs) We'll have to read a memoir about dads. Mm. The Forgotten... You know, the forgotten, the forgotten parent. Yeah. <laughs> Poor dads. Poor dads. Except the babies usually say dada first, so they at least they get that. Yeah, they get something. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm not going to complain. My husband does. He's a good dada. So. Oh, yeah. Mine too. Yep. So, they, you know, we'll, we'll let them have that one. <laughs> now, what did you rate this book? Are we going to go into it? Sure. Yeah. I rated it a four. I rated it a five. Did you really? I did. I think I cried a little bit. I don't think I cried deeply. Like, I didn't weep, but Mm -hmm. I got a little teary-eyed. I think I did, too, now that I... Yeah, now that you mention it. Yeah. But um, that doesn't mean it's an automatic five for me. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And that's fair. And I've actually... I've had a couple of fours that I cried for, so Mm -hmm. I'm moving away from that. Okay. It's too rigid. It's not your litmus test It doesn't always... It doesn't always... (laughs) No, it doesn't always, you know... It's not always deserved, but mm-hmm. yeah, I thought this was a really good read. I enjoyed it. I thought it was beautiful. I would actually reread this memoir. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it'd probably take a while for me to be ready to, but I could see myself like at maybe at a different stage in my life wanting to go back yeah. to this, which I think is interesting for a memoir. Mm-hmm. I feel like you could easily read it and be like, right. All right. You know? Yeah. But yeah. And I think we're getting close to the end of the year, so we are going to do things a little bit differently going forward. Um, Do you want to talk about that at all, or do you need me to refresh your memory? I think I remember. (laughs) You can correct me if I say something wrong. Um, So we're going to have one more episode before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. For 2023, we are going to um, cover, during our final episode, our top reads of the year. So Mm -hmm. you and I are each going to offer our top five reads of the year. Yep. We're going to have a discussion of that. And then uh, moving into the new year, we are going to give um, sort of a head start to our listeners. We're going to release what, like the next three or four titles so that people kind of have advance notice so that they don't have to wait for an episode to drop to know what the next book's going to be so that they can kind of plan ahead. Or skip books that they may not be interested in. If they're not interested in, maybe they, maybe they want to listen to the episode, but they don't care to read the book. You know, who knows? Yeah. It should be an interesting year where I think in March will be a year of doing this podcast. No, I April? Think, I think May. Oh, I geez. Think, I think, what is time? I think it was May. Oh, we have a lot of episodes out for yeah. only being out since May. I think yeah. we were up to 16 last time I checked, oh, which wow. is pretty stellar. Yeah. And we did get quite a few listeners to some of our bonus episodes, which oh, is very we? interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we had some good numbers that, on. I mean, I think that. I think that book may be making a reappearance on our next episode. Yeah. If, uh, if the bonus episode conversation was any indication. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler uh, alert. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We apologize for the delay, but we are so happy to be back and really excited about this upcoming year. And yeah. we wish everyone, well, I think uh, I, I think this will be our last episode before the holidays. So happy holidays to everyone. Yep, yep. And our top five uh, reads will be available um, as a New Year's Eve type present yeah some somewhere in that week (laughs) in that vicinity yeah so stay tuned guys thank you so much thank you